From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and on today's episode, I have someone who is super, super smart. He is an entrepreneur, an author of the book, Smartest Person in the Room, and a cybersecurity expert all the way from Idaho. I'd love to welcome Christian Espinoza. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. I'm glad to be on the show. Well, you're welcome, Christian. And I am really excited about this episode because I was speaking to you just before we kicked off. And the superpower you mentioned was one that we've not had on before. And uh, I think it could definitely be something a lot of people might be facing in their teams at the moment. So what is that superpower that you'd like to talk about today? I focused a lot of my probably last seven years on bringing emotional intelligence back into high-tech industries, which predominantly have super smart, rationally intelligent or high IQ individuals that lack emotional intelligence or have a little bit of emotional intelligence, but not enough. And I think the lack of that emotional intelligence or people skills is really holding them back in their career and holding a lot of industries back, especially cybersecurity. I've worked with a lot of very technical people, some of the smartest people I can think of. And I do have to say there have been times when there's definitely been a lack of emotional intelligence in the room. So I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. But before we jump into the subject matter, Christian, it'd be great to hear your journey because I know you've got some really interesting aspects of your life that you were sharing with me before we kicked off. Yeah, I'll summarize it. I used to be in the military, so I did cybersecurity for the military. Then I did it as a defense contractor. Then I worked for a company as a vice president of cybersecurity products. And I had a kind of a run-in with the CEO of that company, and I decided to quit without having another job lined up. And that was a defining moment for me because when I quit and did not have another job lined up, I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out, use my network and just do freelance work or solopreneur work. So I did that for about four years and I got bored with it. I was making a lot of money, but I felt like I wasn't growing or contributing. So then I started my cybersecurity business, Alpine Security in 2014, and I sold it in 2020. So a lot of the things I write about in my book were from my experience as an owner and a CEO of my business, because I was looking at the company and the problem through a different lens. And 99% of our problems I had with my company, my cybersecurity company, were because of a lack of people skills, not a lack of process or a lack of technical skills. So I decided to do something about that, to bring back that human element into a high-tech company. And the things that worked in my organization are what I ended up writing writing about in the book. And since since I sold the company, I left the parent company in June, I've started another cybersecurity company. I've been doing also a lot of real estate investing and a few other things. Fantastic. And I hear you're a very active individual as well. Yeah, I do Ironman triathlons. Well, I did. I had some blood clots in February. I'm still recovering from my leg. But before that, I, I've done like 24 Ironman triathlons. I've climbed a few of the seven summits and pretty much anything 
that requires a waiver that you have to sign that says you might lose an arm or die. I'm attracted to that. I guess I like risk. Maybe that's why I'm an entrepreneur. I feel like that gives you kind of the zest for life, you know, when you're living on the edge per se. Wow. And did I read that right, that you've done over 200 skydiving jumps as well? Yeah, I've got about 300, I think, skydives. Yeah. Out of, you know, various planes, hot air balloons, helicopters, a number of jets, a number of different uh, platforms. Oh, gosh, I'm just in awe because I'm so risk adverse. (laughs) I'm so scared of heights. Uh, you wouldn't catch me anywhere near one of those hot air balloons, I don't think. So, uh, <laughs> but no, well done. That's amazing. So, Christine, for those of the listeners that are thinking about emotional intelligence, like, what is it? What do we mean by emotional intelligence? There's a lot of facets to emotional intelligence. Basically, we mean people skills or interpersonal skills. And some of that requires empathy, some of it requires awareness, some of it requires being present when you're communicating with someone. A lot of it requires altering how you communicate with people because I believe that the meaning of communication is the response you get. So if you're talking or communicating with someone and they're not understanding you, which happens a lot in high-tech industries, we tend to talk over people's heads and be like, well, they just don't get it. You know, The reality is that's our fault that they don't get it. And the ownership should shift back to you and change how you communicate. And that requires that empathy, the perspective taking, the awareness that someone's not understanding that. And those are probably the main areas, I would say, from an emotional intelligence perspective. Before you wrote the book, could you give us some examples of where you found or encountered that emotional intelligence was lacking with some of your teams and the people you're working with that then triggered the thought of you exploring this further? The defining moment that sort of like solidified I need to solve this problem or this challenge in my organization was when one of my engineers, my highly technical, super smart, probably one of the brightest people on my team, I was getting debriefed about how a report review session went with a client. And he kept saying that the client just didn't get it. He's like, they just don't get it. And for some reason, like that struck me a certain way and made me realize, you know, this is a massive problem. If our clients don't get the cybersecurity assessment results and the risk, then what am I doing as an organization? And I started looking back on my career and I realized that I was the same as that engineer in a lot of scenarios. I would talk over people's head and just complain that they just didn't get it. And I think that tied back to, you know, as a human, we want to feel significant. And if we're, quote, smarter than someone, that makes us feel significant. So I decided at that point to make a shift to try different things in my company because I didn't start a company to have our clients not get it. I want them to get it. So I did a bunch of training in my organization. Like every Thursday, we did training on some aspect of emotional intelligence or EQ skills or how to monotask instead of multitask, how to have better awareness, how to have better communication. And all those things that worked ended up being in the book. And the things that didn't work, obviously, I left out of the book. Having worked with the teams to develop this skill, what were some of the outcomes that you found? The outcomes for me were, from a business perspective, were we had an increase in revenue because a lot of our clients started it out as a single project. And they had finished that project and we'd never hear from them again. But then after 
we create this culture of better interpersonal skills and better people skills combined with a highly technical skills, the clients that started out as a project ended coming back to us for like an annual contract. So we had an increase in revenue from a business perspective. I also had a lot less stress. I was pretty stressed out. Like whenever one of my engineers would talk to a client, I had this like burning sensation in my gut that I might get a phone call later from the client saying that the engineer made them feel stupid or not appreciated. And uh, that went away. So I slept better and had less of that aching feeling in my gut as well. As a tech person, if I was in the team, what might be some of the things that I could start to try and do differently to start to develop this as a superpower? The first step, and I talk about this in my book, is awareness. You've got to have some self-awareness. And I think a lot of us think we're not very predictable. In the book, I talk a lot about neuro-linguistic programming. And we have basically these programs that run in our mind. So when we're triggered, like if somebody says something a certain way, that program automatically kicks off. And before we know, we've executed that program. Often that program is not serving us in a positive way or serving the environment or the people around us or adding value. So we have to reflect on that and say, wait a minute, when I have this trigger, I automatically run this program. I'm on autopilot. So the goal is to do a control C or stop that program that's not serving you and run a different program, which will start out as a weak neural pathway in your brain. But the more you exercise that new one, just like if you exercise a muscle, the more it will become the default habit and the old habit or program that wasn't serving you will go away. So from an awareness perspective, you know, it's important to realize that we automatically respond to things, even though we think we're not like a computer program, we really are. Our brains are like wired a certain way. There's programs that run, but we can change that because there's this concept called neuroplasticity that allows us to change how we're wired. Our brains are not hardwired, they're softwired. And that combined with a growth mindset that makes us believe we can make the change or the change is possible is what's really necessary. Because a lot of people in my industry will say, I'm just not good with people. If that's their belief, that's a fixed mindset. And they're not going to change that neural pathway that's not serving them. As soon as something happens, they're going to get nervous. They're going to shut down. They're not going to have a meaningful interaction with someone. But the reality is people don't just work with technology. And most people have parents and most people have children or a spouse. So it would benefit anybody to get better with people, especially highly technical individuals that struggle with this. They just have to adapt that growth mindset that they can learn people skills, just like they can learn technical skills. Hi folks, sorry for the quick interruption, but before we continue with this awesome episode, I have a huge favor to ask. If you're enjoying these conversations and you're finding it's giving you value in your daily challenges, then I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave a short review and subscribe to whichever platform you're either watching or listening to this episode on. That's it. Let's get back into the episode. That's fascinating. And I think having been a programmer myself, not that I was very good, but I claim to be a programmer at one point in my career. I was never taught about all of these great skills like empathy. How do I empathize with people around me, team members? How important do you think it is for us to teach this from an early age? I think it's the most important thing that can be taught. You know, we spend a lot of time on in school on politics, math and science and things that are important. But 
human coping skills and emotional intelligence is actually the most important thing. And it's the thing that's neglected. And as I mentioned, I'm a believer that you get what you tolerate. And in high tech industries, we accept it. If you're super smart, it's okay. You don't have any people skills and we'll just holler at you anyway. And we've created this sort of like high IQ, low EQ monster because we tolerated it. And I think it's time we make this shift. And this will just help in like an industry like cybersecurity or work, it also helps at home as well. Because I believe if you have better emotional intelligence and people skills, your home life will improve as well because you'll be better able to handle situations with your children, your parents, your spouse, anything along that line. So yeah, I think we need to focus on that. And with my company, I shifted how I hired people. I purely hired, well, I, not purely, but I looked at people's emotional intelligence and core value fit and cultural alignment first and if they didn't pass that, I didn't even bother hiring them or looking at their technical skills. So like if first, when I first started the company, I used to look at technical skills only and think that was good enough, but I flipped the script and started looking at technical skills last and only if they passed like the emotional intelligence requirements. Well, that's really interesting as well. I mean, when I look at CVs and people's applications for roles, we always seem to put all of our qualifications right at the top. That's the stuff that <laughs> We want to show all the badges that we've got, all the certifications yeah. and everything else, but there's very rarely anything about some of these other skills. And maybe it's because we either don't pay enough importance to them or that we just assume everyone has those when actually in reality, it's, it's as you mentioned, a really valuable skill set. I guess it would be quite difficult to prove though that on paper that I've got this level of competency is there some kind of test that you can do that would reveal what levels you are with this type of skill? We ask people to take uh, the Trimetrics HD assessment. It combines like a DISC assessment, which looks at your behavior, your motivations, your competencies, how you see yourself in the world and how you really are. So we ask people to take that assessment. It's a benchmark. And then we also had seven core values in my company, and we ask people scenarios, questions about those core values that we use to f figure out if that person actually had that core value. So we incorporated so you know an assessment external to us, an assessment basically in the interview itself to identify that emotional intelligence and those interpersonal skills. Could you share some more insights from the book and some of the more interesting, I'm sure it's all interesting, but some of the most interesting aspects and even any research that you came across while you're writing the book? In the book, I have seven steps I call the secure methodology. Uh, it's seven steps basically to improve your emotional intelligence. I call it the secure methodology because I believe a lot of the challenges we have with emotional intelligence stem from insecurities, uh, like we're insecure within ourselves. So that shows up in a certain way in our interactions. So I call it the secure methodology because I believe if you go through it, it will make you become more secure with yourself. One of the concepts that a lot of people comment on in my methodology is monotasking. Monotasking is the opposite of multitasking is doing one thing with focused effort for you know maybe an hour at a time, depending on how you want to break up your day. And I talk about two concepts with monotasking. One of them is it makes you productive versus busy. It makes you know, the star of your own movie versus the supporting actor in somebody else's. You're not no longer 
you know, at the whim of everyone else's demands. So it helps you become more productive, number one. And number two, it helps you with emotional intelligence because if you're monotasking when you're with somebody, that means you're present. If you're present, you're paying more attention to the, their language, their communication. That person you're with is going to feel valued. They're going to feel appreciated because often what most people do if they multitask, they'll be in a meeting or they'll be out to dinner and they'll be on the phone or checking the phone while they're talking with somebody. And that doesn't make the person feel valued you're communicating with, and it diminishes that relationship. So to have a deeper relationship, if you monotask and you're present, that helps with that relationship and it helps those interpersonal skills as well. I'm a, a big fan of avoiding that multitasking trap because I think as I was growing up, we were often encouraged to do lots of multitasking. <laughs> it was a good thing. Why can't yeah. you do more than one thing at a time when actually the research proves that it's so detrimental to productivity. In terms of then focusing on something and getting really deep with it, are there any tips and tricks that you would suggest for somebody who's out there who may be overwhelmed with lots of things that are happening and they've got to get through on a typical day? What are some of the useful practical things they could do? What I do is called time blocking or block time. So I take my day and break it up into typically like one hour or two hour chunks or sometimes 30 minute chunks. And I put it actually put the blocks on my calendar. And that means during that block of time, that's the only thing I work on. So like today I've got to work on defining my target audience, for instance, for a, a keynote speech I want to give. I, I need to refine that. So I have that blocked on my calendar for an hour. That means I, when I say I only work on, that means I don't check email. I don't check my phone. I don't do anything else, just that. And what I've found is when I focus on one thing, I'm more, I get it done typically and I feel less stressed because when I was multitasking, you try to focus on one thing, but then an email comes in, you bounce over there and then you lose like where you are and you lose a lot of efficiency with what's called context switching. So when I stopped doing the multitasking and just focusing on one thing in those blocks of time, I feel less stressed and way more productive. And the reality is a lot of us say, well, I have to check email. I got to check my text messages. What if it's an emergency? If you actually reflect on your year, you probably didn't have that many emergencies where you had to respond within an hour time frame. So you can always check your email after your hour time block. So that's really helped me. Oh, that's a great point whereby if you do really safeguard that time, so you avoid those distractions, I think that's a great way to do it. And going back to the framework, the secure framework you mentioned, so what are some of the other aspects of that framework? Yeah, another concept I talk about in the secure methodology is I mentioned awareness and mindset already. I talk about acknowledgement as a leader and as a human being. I think it's important to acknowledge ourselves for the progress we made and other people. One of the things I realized as the leader of my company is I had difficulty acknowledging myself. I would finish, so I remember finishing like the Ironman world championship in Kona, Hawaii in 2015. And I was automatically thinking about the next thing I wanted to accomplish. I never once took a step and just like patted myself on the back. And it was actually a 10-year journey. I remember standing on the finish line 10 years before thinking one day I'm going to do this race. And I did it, you know, 10 years later. So it was a big deal, but I just never like actually appreciated the moment. And I realized that if I couldn't appreciate myself or acknowledge myself, then I'm going to be lacking in that area for my staff. So I had to like 
change that so I could show more appreciation to my staff. And then one of the concepts I talk about in the book, you may have heard of the five love languages. It's, you know, basically those concepts have been morphed into the workplace. And it's important to show appreciation in a way that the other person wants to receive it. For instance, for me, I like quality time and acts of service. Those are how I feel appreciated. If somebody spends time with me or they may do something with me that take a little stress off my plate, but not everybody feels that way. Some people prefer words of affirmation and physical touch. So we often think the person we're trying to appreciate accepts appreciation the same way we do, but that's rarely the case. So it's important to understand what way that person values being appreciated as well. That's a really good point, actually, because how many managers and employees fall out during that feedback conversation? Because either the manager really doesn't know how to communicate that feedback in the employee's style or their preference, and and it can leave people a, a little bit disengaged afterwards, I think. And so that's really important that they get that conversation. And Kristen, just to end this segment of the show, who might find value from this book? I wrote the book for three main audiences. The first audience is leaders, leaders in high-tech industries specifically, but I think it applies to more industries than that. It's really a personal development book focused on emotional intelligence with a context of cybersecurity, because that was my industry. The other audience is the high-tech people themselves, the super high IQ people. I think they would get benefit from it. And then the third audience is people that are wondering like why we're doing so horribly in cybersecurity. Because I believe the root issue is the lack of people skills in cybersecurity, not a lack of technology, not a lack of framework. It's frameworks. It's a lack of people skills, the high tech staff, the inability to communicate risk, the inability to collaborate effectively. I think that's the real root issue with cybersecurity and why we're doing so horribly. There you have it, folks. It's the end of another insightful episode. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around to listen to this episode and for helping support me and encouraging me to create more content for you guys. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you'll find my email address in the show notes or equally head over to the website and click on the contact link. And I promise I will respond to every single message I receive. I'm always looking for your feedback. So if you'd like me to change things up or improve things, I would love your opinions. If there are topics that you would like us to do future episodes on, or there are other great speakers that you are aware of, then please do mention them and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Thank you once again.